When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Okay, hope your long weekend has been a good one. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is the best of Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 6.30 Chad. We have been bringing you conference final action from the Stanley Cup playoffs in this time slot when there is a game. And uh, we will continue to do so through the uh, end of the Stanley Cup final as well. So we're happy to bring you all those live sporting events here on 6.30. Chad, we'll have coverage from uh, the draft in Vancouver, June 21st and 22nd, so you can keep it here for all your NHL needs. Well into the baseball season now, and uh, the Toronto Blue Jays uh, likely going to be a bit of a tough year for them here as we move along. But everybody following that young man, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and uh, as Vlad made his debut earlier this season for the Blue Jays. I caught up with Edmonton's Mike Johnson, who played with Guerrero's dad with the Montreal Expos in the late 90s and early 2000s. But before we uh, talked about that, uh, spoke to Mike about his uh, great work in Edmonton with his five-tool field house. Uh, well, we opened up in November 2017, and uh, really just batting cages that people can come in, they can uh, come in recreational. We can have teams coming in, do tryouts, or run practices out of here, and pretty much anything anything that anybody wants to do as far as uh, as far as a bat and a ball. They can come in and take some swings, and have groups come in, just uh, kind of like team building events and stuff too. But uh, lots of options. All right, and well, and the beauty of it is that in the in this climate, you can work on baseball year round. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, especially. Never know what these Edmonton summers are going to give us. So I just thought it'd be a good option for people to, to always have if they want to go indoors. Well, and obviously you you, you well said because it might snow this weekend. So <laughs> yeah. So, so so there you go. How, you know how did you how did you keep sharp as a player growing up here? Because obviously that would have cut into some of the stuff you could you could have done uh, in the winter. Did you did you what? How did you work around that when uh, when you were a teen and and working towards being a pro pitcher? Well, actually, I played a lot of school sports in the wintertime, so I would play on my team in Team Alberta and, and uh, during the summer <laughs> during the summertime, and then during the wintertime, I play volleyball, basketball, badminton, run track, kind of doing a lot of school sports. Didn't have a lot of camps or anything that were kind of going on during the wintertime. Um, there was the baseball Alberta winter camp that was basically one or two days a week that I would go to, but um, I don't know, for the most part, just played other sports. Well, and that's an interesting story that you tell, and I, I wind up asking this of a lot of parents and, and coaches. There, there's a lot of specialization with kids right now, and, and for, for a lot of kids playing hockey, it's, it's an 11-month commitment because they might play spring hockey and, and do some things in the summer, but you were, you were, uh, you were doing everything when, when you were a kid then until... Because what, what age would, have you, would you say you primarily were just consider yourself a baseball player? I mean, I would say all the way up until I was drafted. I mean, I wow. started playing baseball when I was four years old, but like pretty much tried everything, like everything from like like I said, like bowling to badminton to you kind of name it, kind of did everything. 
And then, yeah, I mean, I would always play during the summertime, but to sit there and say that, like, I specialize in one sport over the course of a year, I I don't think I ever did that until I actually got drafted and it became my profession. That's a that's amazing because I, I wonder how many uh, players who, you know, have been drafted into Major League Baseball in the last five years would say that. You know, like, it, would, would you, you've got to think it's changed quite a bit. Yeah, I mean... Well, you never. Know, there's still some out there. I mean, look at the NFL draft this year, and the guy that went first overall oh, was a first round pick with with Oakland. So, I mean, there's dual sport guys out there. They're probably few and far between, especially at that caliber. But um, if you you look, I mean, you see a lot on social media as far as guys saying like specializing, they played everything that they could, and I mean, you just think about it like different sports, whether. It, pertains to hockey or whether it pertains to baseball you can take pretty much a piece of any sport and apply it to whatever you want to consider like your main sport so i think it's pretty valuable to try try different things and the other thing too is you don't get bored of it so mike johnson joining us on inside sports with the five tool field host and of course a former montreal expos pitcher and that's why i got in touch with, you with this afternoon because uh vlad guerrero jr making his debut for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, and you spent uh, about five seasons as a teammate of Vlad Guerrero, now senior. He was just Vlad Guerrero at the time, uh, with the Montreal Expos, where where re- he really came to prominence and became a really popular expo, uh, you know, late 90s and, and into the 2000s. He, you know, he was, a, he was a young guy. What do you remember about a, a young, you know, Vlad Guerrero getting to know him as, as a teammate with the Expos? Um... Well, first off, like he was a real quiet guy. Um, obviously, coming from Dominican, didn't speak speak a lot of English. But um, I think one of the biggest things about Vladdy that I remember is just the joy that he had in playing. Like I know, like he was playing in the major leagues and the high level and being the player that he was. But there weren't too many guys. There weren't too many guys. Really, the only other guy I can kind of think of that kind of went on that level was Pedro Martinez as far as the, the joy that they had every time they came to the park. And I think with that, it probably helped him. Granted, he was an unbelievable talent to kind of go with it, but just kind of the ease that he played with. He just had he just had fun, and the game came easy to him. And it's not an easy game as we all know. So, um, no, he's a pretty special player. Any, any moment for you? Because uh, 97... <laughs> was the first year he he uh, had significant play time he played 90 games and then he played almost every game in 98 so you were uh, you were on those teams as well i mean was there a moment in a cuz you know there's the hype and the expectations and then everybody's probably thinking well can this kid actually do it was there anything you saw Vladdy do or like okay yeah he's he's going to be fine <laughs> oh yeah i mean from i mean the time that i got to montreal i mean he was already already a superstar at, at, the young age that he was but uh there's not necessarily like one specific moment with him it was kind of like he he was the type of guy that every time he came to the plate everybody kind of stopped and watched because he could change he could change the game all by himself even though there's nine players on the field and but he could like i said basically take over a game by himself which isn't the easiest thing to do offensively but he also could do it defensively with with uh with the speed and his arm in the outfield all right, so to give people some perspective who maybe uh, aren't, you know, were, were young when he was playing or 
or maybe we just need some clarity. How true is this that he would swing at anything, eye high in the dirt, and still make good contact? Has that become, uh, uh, you know, blown up and mythologized a little bit since he's retired, or, or is there a lot of truth of that that he could drive almost anything? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely true. I mean, there's there's a true story when he was in Double A with uh, the Harrisburg Senators. Pitcher threw a breaking ball down in the dirt. It bounced in front of the plate. He hit it off the bounce and hit it out. <laughs> so when you say like he swings at everything, it's it's true. Just had just unbelievable athleticism and hand-eye coordination that he could he could barrel a ball up no matter where it was. And you talk to a lot of pitchers back then, and they'd say like, you try and pitch around Laddie like around the zone. Like honestly, the best place you could pitch him was right down the middle. <laughs> Because he's going to hit anything anyway, so just throw something down the middle and hope he pops it up. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's not a strategy you'd, apply, you'd, you'd deploy against most guys who could hit 40-plus home runs. No, season. not at all. That's incredible. In terms, you mentioned his energy, and you mentioned uh, the, the English. Did that... Did that improve as as he got older? Because I know there were always some stories that he that he never learned English that well. Uh, what's what's the what's your version of that? And was it was it ever tough having a guy that didn't speak a lot of English on the team? No, I think I think the both. I think the big thing with him is he's a real quiet, reserved guy. Um, we we're just kind of talking about it here before he called. How like he didn't go out. He didn't. He didn't go out and like look for any accolades from fans or anything he was just he's just a normal quiet family guy he always had his family traveling around with him but uh i think it, i think like over the years obviously first language is spanish and you kind of think about it as us trying to learn a second language and maybe not being comfortable especially doing an interview or talking talking to the media because you don't want to sound foolish so he would use an interpreter. He would use an interpreter, but um, away from the cameras, like you could have a conversation with him in English. So I think he kind of let on that he didn't speak English that well, but I think it was more of a confidence thing for him. Okay, I, I gotta just run this line by you. And, and you were on the Expos in 2000. He uh, I lost. There we go. 44 home runs, 123 RBIs. He uh, adds in 10 steals. His batting average was 345, and he finishes sixth in MVP voting. That was the year Jeff Kent won it over Bonds. Now, there were a lot of gaudy numbers, including Todd Helton, who finished fifth and hit like 370 or something. But I look at that, I'm like, how are you not in the top three in MVP voting? Was that just because he played in, in Montreal, like the Giants got all those hype? Or, or what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's more probably, again, kind of the market that he's playing in and and um, I'm pretty sure, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong on this. I think the media, I think the media kind of um, more votes kind of on those, on, on those yep. types of awards. And I mean, you kind of look at even kind of the record of the track record of guys that get MVPs other than obviously now you're Mike Trout, but Anaheim has become quite a big market team now. But, uh, but yeah, they, they kind of cater, they kind of cater to those, the higher market guys, the more kind of flamboyant guys. And like I said, Vladdy, for even the numbers that he put up, like kind of flew underneath the radar as far as wanting the attention um, for the numbers that he put up on the field. I mean, you can kind of say the same thing as far as Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame voting and Larry Walker. I mean, nobody can dispute Larry Walker's, Larry Walker's numbers, but people seem to think that 
because he played in Colorado that he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I know that there's a lot of people, peers, peers included, that would disagree with that. All right. Do you have any recollections of Vlad Jr.? Was there any overlap or a meeting with him when he was a very a very small Guerrero? Yeah. So I don't know if you remember. Like I'm sure they're like circulating around like social media and stuff. Those those young pictures of him in an Expos uniform, like tipping his cap with his dad in the field. Yeah, I seen that today. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was I was at those games. So I remember I like Vladdy Junior was around all the time and looked just like he did three years old, like in those pictures. And I was kinda of laughing today. I was I was I was talking to someone and saying like we had a soft serve ice cream soft serve ice cream machine in our clubhouse and every after every single game Vladdy Junior would come in and crush ice cream. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you get to see his at bats tonight, Mike? I know you're busy, but no, I'm watching the game right now. Oh, you got it already. Saw the saw the first one where umpire kind of called a strike that was a little bit outside on him, and and then the the fly ball that he just missed hitting the home run on. Yeah, I mean, how do you think? uh, Just I mean, obviously high rated prospect. He's got all the pressure, but so cool for him to be in 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 Canada. Can't be in Montreal, so he's in in Toronto. I mean, you must really be pulling for him, and you must love seeing Vlad Senior there as well. Oh yeah, no, it's great. Like, and I was listening to uh, Dan Schulman on Dan Schulman on on the air, and he kind of wrapped, he kind of like put it all in perspective, saying like, Vlad Senior for everything that he accomplished in the game the, and the type of player player that he was tonight. He's just dad watching his son play, which is which is pretty cool if you think about it. All right, I'm going to throw one more at you, and I know you've been in studio uh, because when you were in, people were texting you questions as well. I got a uh, listener from Glendon, Jeremy, who texts in all the time. He, I, I met him at uh, a lot of Oilers games this season too. He says, Reed, do you mind asking Mike what he thinks it would take to bring high-caliber baseball back to Edmonton? Does he think it would work here again? Mike, that's a tough one. I don't know if we're getting double-A, uh, triple-A, single-A here because of the travel with all the teams in the States. and. I, personally, I think the prospects have carved out a pretty good niche for what for what they do with that league. But uh, I wonder, you know, Jeremy wants to know what you think of that. Um, well, first of all, the, the the Edmonton prospects are doing a great job um, offering high caliber baseball for an affordable family price for people to go out and obviously experience experience in a good a- atmosphere down at, at uh, Remax. But uh, as far as affiliate baseball. The only thing that I kind of tell people when I get this question is more frequent than you kind of think is obviously the group that comes in here, the big issue is everything's kind of paid in American dollars. So salaries are paid in American dollars and, and these groups are paying, paying, paying the players and they have to put up living and they have to pay for travel. Well, Canadian dollars compared to the American dollars costing an owner that comes in here a heck of a lot more than it does anybody down the state. And with where we are up in Edmonton, I think the only the only way it would work is if there were other affiliates in Canada. So whether that be like a Winnipeg and a Calgary or maybe somewhere. I know there's one in Vancouver, but it's low A. Mm-hmm. But there would have to be other teams in the local area to keep costs down um, for any groups that come in. So obviously those groups would run into the same issue. But... Um, so I just think it's going to be really difficult for, for that. I know that there's a fan base, and Edmonton's shown it in the past, but the fan base, I think it's just more of the financial, the financial burden of 
bringing a team in here is kind of the big issue. Yeah, well, I mean, the the Pacific Coast League, when, I mean, you and I would have been kids in the 80s with Ron Kittle and then Salmon came up through here. I mean, Calgary had a team, Vancouver had a team, I think Spokane and maybe even Portland had teams. So you had kind Mm -hmm. of a Northwest cluster. There's not really that, that, it's just the, the map doesn't work right now, I think. Yeah, yeah, like I said, especially especially with no other Canadian teams. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like your closest travel team would be like a Tacoma uh, in that in the PCL. So, I mean, it's a pretty long haul. You're not going by bus, so you're flying everywhere. So it just, it just becomes, like I said, I think just a little bit unmanageable for a group coming in, unless there's something a little bit more local to, uh, to travel to. Mike, how can people look up uh, info on the 5-2 Fieldhouse? Uh, they can they can go to our website five tool fieldhealth dot com. Um, if they're looking to come and hit at the cages, they can email or they can call in. Um, all the information is on our website. Our phone number is seven eight zero seven five two eight six six five, or they can email me or my my assistant at info at five tool fieldhealth dot com. Mike, love having you on the show. We'll have to try to get you in this summer, man. Love chatting with you, and thanks for your memories of Vlad Guerrero, man. Thanks a lot, Reed. Take it easy. That's Mike Johnson. Love that story about Vlad Jr. going for the ice cream in the clubhouse. Absolutely love it. He's going to be a good one. Going to be a good one for the Blue Jays. Uh, We'll see if they can build a team around him in the years to come. We'll take a quick timeout. This is the best of Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chat. So the Oilers have their general manager. Who will they have as a coach? On the day he was hired, GM Ken Holland said Ken Hitchcock will not be back. But as Holland explains here... Hitchcock will participate, to a degree anyway, in the selection of the new Oilers bench boss. I don't really have a desire for the time to uh, interview 10 to 15 coaches, but I will I'll probably have a list of, uh, and I do have a list probably of 10 to 15 people. Um, I'm going to lean on Ken Hitchcock a little bit. I've talked to him every day this week. Ken's been an NHL coach for a long time. Certainly he knows the coaching you know, the coaching fraternity. He knows the, you know, he knows a lot of information about coaches. He's coached against some of these people. And, and if he doesn't have coached against them, certainly knows uh, who to call in the coaching fraternity. He's got, the, he's got that relationship, coach-to-coach relationship. So certainly I'm, uh, I'm going to lean on Ken Hitchcock here a little bit as I go through the process um, to, to eventually naming a, naming a head coach. Um, but, yeah, I've started the process, but I – I've got uh, I've got uh, lots more to do. All right, we're going to roll into the 7:30 news. Uh, still to come, you'll hear a bit from Joaquin Gage, former Edmonton Oilers goaltender, very entertaining guy to talk to. He joined me in studio for an extended segment on Inside Sports a few weeks ago, and one of the most popular Oilers of the last 20 years, George Larac as well. Best of Inside Sports on 6:30, Chad. Sunday. We have live football here on 6.30, Chad. Eskimos hosting the Lions in preseason action. Countdown to kickoff with Morley and Dave at 12.30. The game will begin at 2. We'll have every Eskimos game for you all season long. 9-9 nine and nine last year for the green and gold. Not Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good enough to make the postseason 7-2 and two on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium, but they only won two games away from home. Well, Joaquin Gage is a very entertaining guy to interview, former goaltender in the NHL, played for the Edmonton Oilers, and also spent several years playing in Europe. And Joaquin uh, joined me in studio for uh, a few segments on Inside Sports earlier this month, and uh, I asked him about his days overseas. You were talking about, because you think the size of the ice is quite significant, like very significant, the wider ice. Yeah, no, um, well... I always thought this. I didn't hear anyone actually mention it until I, some, we signed Koskinen. Um, Sean Burke said, because um, he was playing in the KHO in the, in the Russian League, and he made reference to when you play on the big ice, you're, as a goalie, your your stats are skewed a little bit. It's uh, it's a lot easier for a team to defend. You to defend on the big ice. You wouldn't really think that. You'd think there'd be more room to, to, to do things. But on the smaller surface with highly skilled players, things just happen way faster. Like everyone, I hate to say it, but we can't wait to see Connor playing on big ice and <laughs> at world championships or Olympics or things like that. But it's actually a lot harder to, to, to get things done because things ha- actually happen a little bit slower and uh, you can you see things develop a lot quicker and it's a lot easier to do that so and as a goalie um you the shots come from different angles that you do have to get used to but it, it is a lot easier game i found really yeah were there fewer shots <clears throat> oh yeah like um the thing with with a surface that big like you uh if a guy doesn't knows he's not going to score from a certain spot he's not going to shoot it right so especially in sweden sweden's a swedes play a little bit different it's more of a like a, a football game like a puck control game where sometimes you would uh you would your team wouldn't touch the puck for two minutes because they would they would rag it back and attack again and set up and and uh a lot different finn in when I played some exhibition games in Finland, I remember um, they played more North American. They were shooting the puck, okay. crashing the net. They they played a, a little bit different style. And then um, when I played in Germany and things like that, they I mean, it was such a mishmash of of import so it was more of a north american game too okay but were like or, or were the swedes when you played were they i mean they're looking for an open net goal they're looking for a tap in before yeah, they take a shot that, almost that's basically it there was unless they they yeah it was a open cage they didn't shoot the puck we uh we actually played our 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 general manager his name was Matt Sveltine he actually developed that torpedo system I know no one's going to know what that is, but uh, we played a completely different style, which was more of a forward checking. It was really different. Like the centerman basically becomes a defenseman, and okay. and the the two wingers are the torpedoes that go, and one D man kind of becomes a, a winger slash offensive defenseman. So it's almost like a two two one <laughs> yeah, forward check. Yeah, okay. it's, it's really weird. And actually, well, on that team that year, my. Uh, a name everyone knows as uh, Nicholas Kronvall. He was 20 at that and played on my team, and he was like the the libro, the the demon that would that would run. Really? Up and, yeah. And to this day, like he was just really scrawny, like just a beanpole, and, but he still hit like that. And I couldn't believe 
Because, I mean, on it's hard enough to hit a guy on small ice with those perfect hits, but he did that on the big ice as a 20-year-old, and it, he just exploded, guys. It was helmets, gloves, shin pads everywhere. It was, you knew that he, Detroit had something special with him. And it was always funny in Sweden because they loved Detroit. Like, the only NHL games you could watch in Sweden were Detroit games. Half is because, like, all Lidstrom and right. all those guys and stuff. But they, they just, the... It was like their other national team. If, oh, yeah. yeah, like they. I think they wished it was like they they wore like gold and gold and blue and wore the three kroner because <laughs> they just loved the Red Wings. There was always I remember seeing uh, seeing ads for flights to Detroit to go watch the Red Wings play. That's was, amazing. Yeah. Oh wow! So they're gonna love the Oilers if Ken Holland does come here. Then. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll get a lot of Swedish people here. Get a lot of Swedish people <laughs> coming come to see Ken Holland. Well, they'll just be watching him in the press box. They won't even watch the game. Uh, so the so the torpedo system. So was that more dump it in and chase it down? Then. Yeah. Like, did most teams like to try to carry it in or loop back? We it was, yeah, it was a puck pursuit kind of. We would dump it in and, and go after it with those two wingers and. Well, Try to create havoc, get them trapped in the neutral zone, and reattack. So okay, yeah. And did teams figure it out after a while? Well, yeah. Everyone else played the kind of standard way. We played that way. We did all right. We got to the semifinals that day. We had a good team, but um, yeah, it, there were holes in it. But that's what I—that's <laughs> what I was there for. <laughs> right, you were there to stop all the holes. And if you went to the semifinals, you had pretty good goaltending. Yeah, that was a good year. I had a lot of fun. Okay, and is that the year? Oh, good save there. That's nice. That was—I I mean, it changed direction, but he had to reach back and grab it. Four-one, uh, Carolina Islanders came close. McElhenney. I mean, they've had to change goalies, and they're still winning. Carolina. It's insane. That's uh, all you need is a. It's too bad he's so. Oh, how old is he? Thirty. I think he's thirty. Oh, I had this the other day. Four? I think at least. Yeah, that's too bad. If he's 27, he can milk this for another seven years. Curtis <laughs> <laughs> McLean is 35. 35. He turns oh. 36 on May 23rd. So if they go to the Stanley Cup final, yeah. he'll be 36. That, that'd be a great story. Okay, so you're playing in Sweden. Sorry, which team were you with again? Uh, they were. It was Jurgarden is is the name of the team. And, we were right in Stockholm. Yeah, you're right in Stockholm, and uh, yeah, you played uh, 42. You had 42 appearances that year, 12 more in the playoffs, and that was the year you were the bad boy of oh, Swedish yeah. goaltenders, I guess. Yeah, because you fought. On that team, I have two records. <laughs> I have longest shutout minutes and the only goalie ever to fight. That's my claim to fame in Sweden. Okay. I was, I was. Both good stories. Yeah, they uh, they actually gave me Player of the Year for that. So not the shutout, the fight. <laughs> the team or the league? The team. The, the team, team gave. gave yeah, I got the trophy at home. I, it's great. I show my kid that he doesn't care. Okay, well, you mentioned the shutouts. I mean, that's significant. How many? How long was the shutout? Um, I think it was two games. To like, uh, it. I let in a goal. Um, in the beginning of a game real quick and then I sh- we uh, that was the I think it was one of the game six of the first round and then I shut them out the rest we won game seven and then I I had shut out the next team and then they scored the next game so about so, 100 over yeah, 120 yeah, minutes so, so, yeah okay so. pretty impressive now yeah it worked out fighting in a league where it's got to be a little more foreign than here <laughs> all, maybe a lot more you got to Swedes really ran the goalies I found a lot and I well I was I wasn't the calm 
guy that you have before you now, I, I, I lost it <laughs> a little bit here and there. And, and uh, there was in Europe, you have like the derby games where you play your rival a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And we were playing Lexan, which is like for any Swedish hockey fans, they're like the Toronto Maple Leafs of Sweden. Like so their fans would go everywhere. And we were playing Lexan in Stockholm, and that was they're cl- really close too. So, and we play in that old the Globe Arena where they do the when they have games. The NHL plays in Sweden. That's right. the same rink, right? Yeah. So it's a big rink and it gets pretty loud. And they were, uh, you can actually watch this on YouTube. Like there's a uh, there's documented footage of this, so <laughs> you could just. Uh, <laughs> put in gauge fight and it should pop up. Oh, okay. Um, the uh, but uh, yeah, I I was consistently run that game and it finally uh, had enough and the old uh, the old Bruce Banner came out and and the the I, I've told this story before but the uh, the thing is I fought this guy and I didn't realize he was eighteen or nineteen at the time and and. Uh, the next day, because it was three games before the playoffs, and so I was all, I was worried, oh, geez, am I going to get suspended? And uh, so the next day, I'm going to the rink, and I I, I didn't have a car, because the I just, uh, I took the took the train to the rink every day. So I'm on the train, and those, like, metro newspapers or whatever, they're, uh, everyone's reading the newspapers on the way to work, and I had actually... I went to school in Sweden. I I had in my contract, I wanted to kind of learn the language. So I was taking classes at night and I look up and, and there's a picture of me with like my teeth gritting and I'm throwing a punch at this kid (laughs) and it says crazy Canadian goalie. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I bury my head in my, uh, in my hands and I'm worried because there's thousands of people on this train and I'm sitting down and I look up and there's this little old Swedish lady, right? across from me and it was it was like out of a movie she lowers the paper looks at me looks back at the paper looks up at me and gets up and changes seats <laughs> so but i only got three games and uh yeah most of the swedish guys said that and that you're done you might as well just go home that that doesn't happen that doesn't happen here <laughs> uh, but it was that was a lot of fun stockholm it was a gr- it's a great city wow what a great city and yeah. great people it was fun because they in Sweden, I mean, there's only 9 million of them, and everything's subtitled, so TV and movies are great to go watch because <laughs> they're all in English. But <laughs> you, like, I, was, I would try to speak, I would murder Swedish to people anywhere, restaurants, like supermarkets, stores, and they'd always respond back to me in English because they could all speak English. And uh, it was really nice. Like they, and they, they loved the fact that I tried their language. Right? Right. They thought that was the best. So. Great stuff. Uh, great stuff. The good old crazy Canadian goaltender making the headlines while playing in Sweden. That was Joaquin Gage. Uh, good to speak to him. Oh, when we get... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back, uh, this guy's always pretty entertaining as well. Former Edmonton Oilers George Larac. This is the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chat.
Well, we will hit the finish line with a flourish tonight as uh, we present some of our favorite interviews from the last few weeks here on Inside Sports. It's a best of edition. Uh, George Larac has played in a couple of uh, charity hockey tournaments over the last few weeks here in Edmonton. He's always great to talk to, and he's uh, still mingles with fans, still a very popular figure in oil country. Uh, he popped on the show a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I asked him, so when somebody comes up to you, when a fan wants to talk to you, what what do they bring up the most? What memory, what story do they want to hear about? Sometimes it's the the cup run in 2006, but often it's the hat trick. Uh, the hat trick is such a great memory, and, and I know the others have played that memory many times. Uh, you know, when they call me remembering uh, one of the greatest moments, you know, in Oilers history, and the fact that my hat trick wasn't there is just awesome, you know. A tough guy that scored a hat trick in Edmonton. So, no, it's just awesome. We talk about the years that we're here and uh, how great that it was. And, and sometimes the fans talk to me about, actually, somebody was talking to me today about, you remember when I was, uh, when I signed in Phoenix? And then I was at the bounce and I was signing autograph and I signed autograph for 10 hours. Uh, it was my thank you to the fans. And, and, then, and then I said it was going to be a couple hours, but. These people kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And for 10 hours, I signed autograph. And then I told James, James Stewart, that was uh, running the bounce at that time, I said, stop, uh, stop announcing people that I was still signing because my hands were shaking and I couldn't do it anymore. My God, that's incredible. I don't, I don't know how you were able to still lift the pen. <laughs> Good for yeah, you. Yeah, I was shaking. Yeah, I was shaking after it was. I didn't think it was going to be that long, but I didn't want to cut the line since I was going to Phoenix. And man, it was long, but at the same time, it worked my heart to 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 get that support. And I think in total, when they counted it, I I signed over eight thousand autographs uh, that day uh, when I signed for ten hours. That is amazing. George Larac joining us on Inside Sports tonight. Y- you mentioned the two thousand six Cup run. I want to tie that into something that's happened this year in the playoffs, George. You guys were big underdogs against Detroit in the first round. Big gap in the standings in terms of points and you beat them in six. And this year, we see Columbus barely make the playoffs, way behind Tampa Bay in the standings, weren't supposed to do very well. Not only do they beat them, but but they sweep them. Like, did, did that bring back, you know, any, any uh, well, I'm not, maybe not bring that memories, because you, you do talk about it a lot, like you said, but maybe that reminder, there's maybe no such thing as an underdog once you get into the, pl- the playoffs. Anything can happen. Well, well, actually, there's two things. In 2006, I'm superstitious, so what I'm going to say might sound crazy. But the reason why we won against Detroit, because we're supposed to lose. I don't know if you remember when uh, Wickenheiser, when uh, Detroit, the guy threw the octopus on the ice, Wickenheiser had plastic glove under his glove, and he went to pick up the, the, the octopus and put it in the garbage by our bench. And when he did that, it was to break the curse. People in Detroit, they didn't know what to do. Their fans didn't know what to do, because... He used to scream at that guy and after, right? And when we picked it up, we kind of broke that curse, and then we beat them after. So I'm superstitious. So I'll say it's because of that that we beat Detroit. <laughs> but you know, if you look at if you look at Columbus, uh, actually, you know, all the team that finished first in the division this year, they're all out. First time in the NHL history that every leader of the division are out. And the reason for that is actually quite simple. If you look at that. Every team that cruised, that already were in the playoff, you know, they were comfortable. But all the teams that got in, that beat them, like Columbus, they were playing playoff hockey. 
the last 10 games of the year, they were playing for their survival. When they got into the playoff, the level of hockey and desperation was so high that Tampa was never able to, to match that up. They cruised to a 130-point season or whatever amount of point that they had. So for them, they never had any adversity. And now every team that had adversity advanced. And that was a disadvantage to the team that was already there, just waiting, wait, waiting for a series that they said it was going to be easy. And now next thing you know, they were surprised. But, you know, if you look at the series, they were dominated. Pittsburgh got dominated by the Owl. And it's all about that. It's not just about the skills, but it's about the level of hockey that you play before getting into the playoff that gives you momentum. George, you know the the playoffs. Everything gets ramped up. There's the the, the speed is, is is ramped up. The intensity is ramped up. Shift after shift, any little bounce could change the direction of a series. You know, and when when you were in the NHL, you know you you played a very specific role. You had to defend your teammates. You had to be be tough all the time and intimidate when it was needed. And then you go into the playoffs where sometimes it can be called differently. You know, you don't want to risk taking a penalty or, or, or doing something that could put your team behind the eight ball. Like, did you have to – did you find there were changes for you personally going into the postseason? Did you have to take a different approach? Or what was it like when it transitioned into playoff hockey for you? Actually, no, because I felt really lucky. When I was in Edmonton, we will play sportsline hockey. And I worked really hard to be able to play, like, close to 10-minute a game whether it was regular season or playoff hockey, because most tough guys, when playoff hockey comes, they don't play. And I've always played in a playoff because I was always fortunate enough to be a factor when there's no fighting, which is with physical play. I even remember there's one year in a playoff that, you know, I led the team in, in scoring in the playoff. So no kidding, we were out in the first round against Dallas again. If, if your tough guys are leading in points, there's a problem. But it's just to, to show that, you know, fortunately in the playoff, I was able to, to be a contributor, like by playing physical and having the odd points once in a while, uh, you know, to contribute to help out the team. But, uh, you know, playoff is the best part of hockey. And in, in, you look at Ryan Reeves, which, uh, you know, now is the toughest guy in the NHL, but he converted his game into a, gr- a good a good player. He had 11 goals this year. Now he plays 10 minutes a game in the playoff is a factor. And just last year, you know, they eliminated the Jets because of him, the way that he handled Buffalo and all those guys. So big guys that could play in the playoff that plays physical, best out of seven against the same team, it makes a big difference. And you wore down the the uh, like the other Ds, so then your top lines could have an easier job to get in. Yeah, well said about Ryan Reeves. He's he's quite a story. He was fun to watch this season. When, when you see the, I mean, Kadri got suspended for the rest of the first round for that uh, cross check on DeBrusque, and, and I know a lot of people say, well, if you let, you know, if there was more fighting, if if uh, if you let players feel like they could fight a little more, it, it would deter players like that. I, I'm just wondering what you think of of that and what you thought of the suspension to Kadri to just totally take him out of that series. Well, Kadri deserves it. It's the second year in a row that he does that. Last year did the same thing, and his team lose again. He does that again. So, you know, I understand why you want to stick up for Marlowe, but don't do it with your stick. Do it like a man. Drop your glove and go. That's why, like, that's the type of stuff I don't like. If you're a man, don't use your stick. Your stick is a weapon. If you would have dropped the glove and went at him, you wouldn't have got to spend the rest of the series. But using your stick like this, you could kill somebody. And that's why it's gutless to do that. So he totally deserved that. So when I look at that, and then the second year in the row, the second year in the row that you do that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that 
it might have been his last game as a Toronto Maple Leaf. That is George Larac, former Edmonton Oiler. And that is how we wind it down tonight. Man, we had some good stuff on this show. Uh, best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Beh- besides George Larac, you heard from Joaquin Gage, a little bit from Ken Holland, former big league pitcher Mike Johnson, Gary McCarr, the father of Avalanche defenseman Kale McCarr, Jeff Rieger, who covered the who covers the Detroit Red Wings, a little bit from Jason Moss on Ricky Ray and Eskimos defensive back Jordan Hoover. So as I mentioned, we will continue to bring you uh, live hockey through the end of the Stanley Cup final here on 630 Ched uh, in this time slot. Most of the games starting at 6 o'clock. Of course, we'll uh, be keeping you updated on the schedule as we go along, but we will bring you uh, all the NHL playoff games until the Stanley Cup is handed out. And Eskimos broadcast coming up on Sunday hosting the BC Lions We'll uh, sign on with Morley and Dave at the Brickfield at 12.30, and the game will start at 2. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you soon. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.